Good morning. My name is Stacey Lanier. Um, my husband and I host a community group in our, in our home not far from here. So we've been here a while, and it's a pleasure to read the scripture. We're in Psalm 72. <clears throat> Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they who fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and the peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field, May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be feel, filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Special welcome to our guests who are here for the first time, second time, third time. Um, good to have you this morning. Um, <clears throat> as we continue in our sermon series um, entitled, I'm Asking for a Friend, um, I received a number of questions on one of the most divisive issues inside the church and barrier-creating subject for those outside of the church, politics, right? And there are two things you don't talk about at a party, at a gathering, religion and politics, right? Because passions and feelings run hot in these areas, and convictions for a lot of us are on a tightrope, right? We're just waiting for somebody to cross us. And then enter social media and politics and Christianity and all that goes into it, much of which we will try to unravel. And let me let you know, if you look at the history of Christianity, Christianity and politics and how they mix together is nothing new. But that stuff, the stuff of all of that together has created a wildfire that has cut brothers and sisters off from each other and made others mad and distrusting God and the church and we stereotype people 
based on skin color, based on socioeconomics, right? Um, but people have decided, and I've heard it, people told me straight up, to stay away from the so-called, this is so ironic, the so-called Bible-believing churches. Like if you have in your, your title, we are a Bible-believing church, a lot of people are like, I'm staying away from that church, right? Because we know politically they're going to be a mess. And um, so Bible-believing evangelical churches, because of how we have handled our politics in the public arena. Well, I've decided to take this a little slow, right? I thought about covering it in one sermon. Nah. This is like, like I made this um, pork shoulder this week, and I decided to do like the carnitas. We ate it last night, and um, I like mine, the skin on it and everything. I don't take that skin off. And I was reading, and, you know, I was going to do the grill, but the... Um, the weather was kind of rough out there, and um, so I used a crock pot. And they said, no, I used a crock pot. I sure did. <laughs> and you put in that thing, you know, when you're holding the meat in your hand, you're like, there's no way anybody can eat this skin off of it or whatever. But you put that thing down in the juice, right? It makes its own juices, and you put the rub on it, and then you put it on slow or low. Put that thing on low. And it goes slow, right? Eight hours. I, I slept overnight. You know, I know y'all watched um, the story of us, and y'all all scared about having the crock pot go overnight. But we, 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 we don't have that brand. And um, the next morning, that thing, you know, I tried to pick it up. That thing was falling apart. And I could eat it. Politics like a tough piece of meat, y'all. Right? We're going to take it slow. I know y'all want to just, ah, just bite into it. I do too. Like a piece of plywood. Ah, you just want to get into it because you, you have your opinions and you're like, man, this is frustrating because Pastor Brown will take it too slow. No, it's going to take a while. I'm going to let it marinate a little bit. And so I call the, the way I would describe this sermon, um, it won't be one of the juicy ones, right? I know y'all want to get straight to the chicken wings and the thighs, but sometimes you got to eat the breast, right? The boneless, skinless, I got so, I mean, I'm in the meat right now. I mean, <laughs> yesterday we sat, and I don't know why it happened. You know how you're not watching TV, but you have the TV on, and it's just the white noise in the background, and like, it was, what do we have on all day? The Grill Off Pit Masters Championship on Destination Channel, and it was just on in the background, so my mind's on meat. But this is what I would describe as a crust trimmer, right? Some of y'all who eat your sandwich, you eat the crust off first, right? So you can just, at the, from that point on, every bite is the peanut butter and the jelly or the meat and the cheese. And so um, this sermon is the, the crust frame we need to work through. And then we'll get into the saucy, the meaty and the juicy stuff y'all want to put on Facebook when y'all leave here. <laughs> and say, Pastor Brown shouldn't have said this. I knew it. Let me say a disclaimer, okay? Um, hopefully this one can go for every sermon so far I'm going to do on politics. Look, I'm black. <laughs> I 
a black man in America. Okay? My parents were civil rights activists because they had to be. It wasn't like I'm a civil rights activist because I got a degree in it. No, I just need to live in this country in Charleston, South Carolina. So I'm a civil rights activist. They went to jail, they marched, everything, right? They went to HBCUs. They were the first in their generation to go to college. They had to break through the first glass ceiling, you know, that kind of thing. So sometimes the illustrations I use when I talk about social injustices and inequities, sometimes they might be a little black. I can't use your illustrations. I got mine. So what I want you to do is just kind of, oh, yeah, I'm Irish, and I know we had to eat a lot of potatoes or something like that. Like, we struggle too. Like, we struggle too. Right? So on my dad's tour, you know, he mainly talks about the black side of Charleston because guess what? He's black, right? But he also talks a lot about the Irish and how they were mistreated too, right? But he don't talk a lot about the Irish because we ain't Irish. I just want to let you know that. All he does is talk about the black problems and I feel guilty because I'm not black. That's your problem. I'm, I'm black. <laughs> I'm going to try. If you have something, an illustration. And you know, one thing I've been, oh man, this is not in here at all. So don't start timing me yet. Because I worked hard to make this sermon so short. Like I was like so happy it was short. And now I'm up here and I done start digging a hole and I'm trying to dig out of it right now. But um, one thing I think is really going to help us, especially as a multi-ethnic church and cultural church, is that you, I really, like, I like what, um, what's the, um, the, the, the thing you do when you check to see your DNA? What's that? The Ancestry.com and all those kind of things. I think it's important that we research our stories beyond the last 20 or 30 years. What struggles did your people have? Everybody in this room comes from immigrants unless you like purebred Native American, right? But, and, and there was a time they came over too, I guess, according to some anthropologists. But anyway, we're not getting into all that. But my point is, you ain't from here, right? There was some politics. There was some movement. There was some struggle that got you here because people who had land didn't move here, right? If you were rich in Europe, you didn't move here. So what's your story? What's your story? So apply it that way, all right? When I start talking about historical injustices and all that, I'm not even getting into that today. Oh, I know. Another disclaimer, the one I think is most important, this is not a politics class or my personal opinion, even though some of my stories I'm explaining may get into it. I try for it not to be my opinion, but I hope this is a sermon that seeks to declare what the Lord is saying and how the God of the Bible sent Jesus to redeem this part of our lives. So why? Why are Christians so politically divisive or divisive? A simple answer, we get it from our daddy, right? We get political from our daddy. Politics is defined as the activities and actions and policies that are used to gain and hold power in a government or to influence a government. It's also defined as a person's opinions about the management of government. And we see from the Bible that, that the God of the Bible of Christians intends 
Like, it's not something we can just sort of think he's doing. He intends, according to the Bible, to influence, express his opinions, and retain and gain power when it comes to the management and reach of government. And who is leading and not leading at the time. It is safe to say that the Lord is actively concerned about our politics. For three reasons I want us to see. Remember, we're just going to go slow. First, we see that the Lord is concerned about how people, places, and things are handled. Right? Secondly, he is concerned that inequities and injustices be dealt with. And finally, he has a personal political agenda. I originally had about six scriptures <laughs> picked out. To look at, but Psalm 72 to me, 72 to me is rich with meaning and depth, and we probably will come back to this psalm. It is so, there is so much there um, when talking about politics as it communicates just how actively concerned the Lord is about how people, places, and things are treated. If we look at the subject matters, the psalmist points to as being the responsibility of the ruler, the king, we see in verse 1, the authority, the leader, the government, if you will. We see these subjects, people, prosperity, land, environment, diplomacy, and resources. I'm just not going to read all them scriptures, okay? Right? You, you can go through, and almost every line has something to do with people, place, or things within a certain geographical area, within a certain political boundary, within a certain people group that the king is over. This is important because it's easy for outsiders to look at the Christian faith as only personal and spiritual, right? And there is a tendency to push back on believers who are living and expressing their views and opinions. I'm not trying to say what those views and opinions make sense. I'm just saying expressing their views or opinions or voting what they think are their spiritual beliefs. You know, people will say, keep God and politics separate, right? I've heard folks say, you spiritual, that's great. But keep that personal spiritual stuff inside your heart, right? Keep that inside your own soul, but it cannot actually drive how we manage people, places, and things. Well, the Lord, the God that is over believers, even more than the believers themselves, right, is concerned in accounting for and dealing in material people, places, and things, and how they are treated as if, just maybe, he might have created them all. And he did. And as if he actually knows what's best for all people, places, and things, and has the right as the original artist to determine how his stuff should or shouldn't go. It is not only the Lord who made human beings in the world, but in the garden, right? He gave instructions for us to care, to learn about, to take responsibility for, to manage, to, to govern. When it talks about taking dominion, as he told Adam and Eve, it is a matter of setting up governance over these things to manage them, to manage people and places, things in a focused and intentional manner as a sign and show of our love for God and God's love for us in this world. I mean, think about the Ten Commandments, right? The first five are, are 
really spiritual and kind of heavenly focused. Like, oh, right? Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images and fall down and worship them, right? Don't take my name in vain. Then uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your mother and father. But then think about the last five. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet and jealously hate on each other. Right? That's all about how we what? Treat people, places, and things. And I want to emphasize the place part because it's easily overlooked, especially from us Bible-believing Christians, right? <laughs> you know, but God is concerned not only as the Scripture says here when it says in verse 3, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people, right? We, especially in our country, we want the prosperity, right? We, 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 we want the money. We want the coal, whether it burns clean or whether it burns dirty, right? Because we want our bill low. Right? And somebody who owns the coal plant wants to make money in this free enterprise capitalistic marketing environment. The scripture's not against prosperity. Okay, I'm, I might be getting into another sermon, but I'm just trying to be careful here. Right? The scripture's not saying don't use the trees of Lebanon. Right? It's not saying don't use the mountains. It's not saying don't use the water for energy. It's not saying any of that. But what I want us to recognize, and it's easy to overlook, that God is concerned with how we handle the environment and the beauty of it and how it continues to give us pure and bountiful and beautiful results and kept free of our pollution. Look at verse 16 and 19 through 19 with me. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed, right? And so what you see here, you see how connected the beauty and natural beauty of the earth connect with what God is concerned with? What am I saying? According to his word, because I remember this event. I wasn't going to tell you all this, but when I first started hanging out with these, um, gosh, I hate to use this term because they're so politically loaded. When I began to hang out with evangelicals for the first time in my life, just go ahead and say it, in college, right, when I was part of the the PCA's RUF, which is the campus ministry, I went to the worship service that, at the PCA church there in Clemson when I was a student. And um, we were leaving something, and someone was just bragging about, not bragging, that's not a good word. They were uh, talking about how they're paying help to bring Rush Limbaugh to Greenville, right? This was back in the 90s, early 90s. And y'all remember Rush Limbaugh? Y'all Okay, okay. Like a political personality, radio. Okay, I'm trying. Look at y'all. Getting tense in here, isn't it? What are you going to say about Rush, right? Okay, so I just was like, who is Rush Limbaugh? So I kind of learned about it. And it was funny because one person was like, hey, I can't wait to bring this guy. And he's going to do a lot for us. We're going to bring him. We're going to pay money for him to come to Greenville. And then another person who was a leader in our denomination says, you know what? I understand y'all bringing Rush. That's great. But I'm pulling for the spotted owl on this one. I'm like, what? 
the spotted owl. And they're like, yeah, Rush Limbaugh says that, you know, we all care about the spotted owl and we shouldn't, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking two Christians on opposite sides of the thing. One cares about the spotted owl and the other one cares about some trees getting cut down so that we can have lower prices. I'm like, what is going on? That was my first time dealing with this political mess. A spotted owl is important, right? Like, that's the first time it hit me. God cares about what? He, he's concerned with the tree-hugging, no GMO, all-organic, raw milk drinking, non-vaccinating, barefoot, organic, trail-mix-eating folks. Right? I heard a comedian talk about the trail-mix folk. They're always walking around with trail-mix in the bag. I love it. It was so funny to me. And he says, those folk always offer it to you. You want some trail mix? <laughs> On the plane, I saw a lady. You know what she said? You want some trail mix? <laughs> I don't want your hand been in that. Yeah, but the dirt on my hand is, is, is non-GMO. It's real pure dirt. And bacteria, uh-uh, uh-uh. But he's also concerned about the job growth and cheap resource in a little smoke and food convenience people, right? See, what I want you to see from this text is God is concerned about politics, all of it as politics plays a part in the processes by which we determine how and who manages and cares for people, places, and things. He's all over that stuff. And so it would make sense that it would concern his people as well. Why are you focused on resources? Why are you focused on how, people, how things are going with people? Why are you concerned about this place? Because your God is. But people, places, and things ain't that straight, is it? They as crooked as the politics we deal with every day, ain't they? Now, we'll have more than enough you know, we have more than enough covered, especially in the last topic on how bad things, in particular Sermon 2, um, in that mini-series on why bad things happen, that things are falling and broken down here. One question that you can bring any human being into discussion is, what do you think's wrong with the world these days? Right? Everybody has an opinion. You know why? Because they know things ain't right. And we'll get more into that about how politics may be called to fix that in the next sermon. But do you see the passion and main point behind this psalm that is begging for God to back and help their king? What is it dealing with? It's saying we have inequities and injustices in our world and society, and God wants to see those things dealt with. Look at verses 1 through 4. It says here, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. Now hear this, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. I was looking at the thing about the children of the needy. Man, I'm trying. This is, so, this is so rich here. These are generations of people who've been oppressed. The children of the needy. Wow. Right? Okay, we ain't getting into that. Just dropping a little something to get you thinking. 
And then look at verses 12 through 14. For he delivers the needy. This is the government. When he calls the poor and him who has no helper, he has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Whose sight? The king, right? And then verse 16. May there be abundance of grain in the land, and on the tops of the mountains may it wave, and may its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. Man, I, when I went back and found Psalm 72 again, I was blown away at what's in there. I know whether y'all watched that um, show, Drug Lords, on Netflix. I love that show. I, not because, I, sorry, okay. It's just, it's a well done um, news magazine thing, so that's why I like it. But Jamaica Thompson is now an evangelist and pastor of a church in Los Angeles. But about 30 years ago, she was the crack queen pin in Los Angeles. And this woman, man, she made millions and millions on worldwide distribution of crack cocaine. And I, I saw her story, again, on that documentary series, Drug Lords, and I really liked hers because she is narrating her own story through the documentary. And it was interesting what led and lit her passion to make money and stuff and control and power, right? She said one day she shows up from school to the front door of her house and their stuff is sitting on the side of the road. And on the door was the sign, eviction. And she says, I remember when I was a little girl and I saw that. I said at that moment, as I stood there with my powerless mom, with our stuff in the street, my toys in the street, she said she would not be poor or powerless again. That her kids would never feel what she felt. And that's exactly what led her to climb to celebrity, both criminal and legit. As a young woman, 26 years old, she was a multimillionaire living down the street from Michael Jackson. But when you think about what this scripture is saying, her story illustrates the whole reach and call of government and politics and God's concern because there is a documented story when we talk about caring for the children of the needy. There's a documented history behind why African Americans of South Central LA faced the poverty they faced. Why so many of them came home to signs that said evicted. 
and were used to distribute drugs and run drugs and crime activity in their own neighborhoods against their own people, and then the need to stop what would be oppression from inside and outside from decisions that made major corporations leave their communities where they had jobs and all kind of redlining stuff, real estate issues, and racism and sexism, and then their own sin, like Jamaica, definitely admits in how they handle the despair in their own oppression. That they themselves then turn to oppress those in their neighborhoods, causing addiction and death to their own people and children and themselves becoming rich like Jamaica off of them and others getting rich off of her and how the drugs are supplied from poor Latin countries and Central and South America and Mexico and the whole racist and historically unjust things, unjust things done to people there and the way they handled it and on and on and on. One person's life affected by the policies that this, this psalm is begging for. Help the poor. Help the needy. Bring justice through your king. Help those who see eviction notices. And then deal with those who see the eviction notices and then turn to a life of crime. Help! There is a responsible concern by God for how all of that inequity, right? And you know what I'm trying to express to you? It's complicated. Because I'm looking at this story on one hand and thinking, you know, go ahead, girl, right? I'm sorry, y'all, I am. I'm thinking, you were evicted. You made it. And she talked about being a woman, how she couldn't trust men. And so she had to trick the men into thinking she was just the one bringing the drugs when she was running the whole thing, right? And that's how she stayed uh, uh, free all this time is they didn't expect a woman to be doing it. So you got the sexism stuff involved. She couldn't get a job as a woman, a black woman to support a family. And so deep in my mind, because of my own experience and history, I'm thinking, go ahead, girl, make your money. But then there was a part of the documentary that showed kids dead in the street working for her. And she says, I can't believe it. I exploited my own people. The addict is why I make millions. When she got caught, she got caught. Um, she, was, she was indicted. I mean, she was um, charged, and they couldn't find her because she wore a lot of just wigs and different stuff. She had a hair company, and she, like, made millions legit on her hair. I love this story. I don't know why, because maybe she's a pastor now, but, and uh, a fellow pastor. And so, she, and then she talked about how she ran around town and went her hair, and nobody could find her. And she got caught because she was a mother, and she went to her kids' drama performance. <laughs> and she was sitting there. She couldn't miss it. And she got caught, right? And she said, at that moment when I got arrested, hear this, y'all. At that moment I got arrested, the feeling I felt when I got home to that eviction notice when I was a girl, my son now felt. <laughs> this is the call of our involvement in the lives of the poor and the needy, and inequities, and injustices in the world. 
that yes, little Jamaica Meeker should have been cared for, but grown Jamaica selling drugs need to be caught. <laughs> but I want you to know why Christians are oftentimes all in their feelings about social issues and politics. From abortion to mercy ministry, from poor to, to the rich, because God is all in his feelings, right? Not just in this psalm, but all over the Bible about the misuse and misappropriation and dehumanizing and disadvantage and taking advantage of and polluting and endangering and overusing of the natural world. God is concerned about the not, if you will, of all the issues locally and regionally and nationally and historically all tangled and uh, it's like jingle, right? Or, or pickup sticks, right? Together. He, he is hoping that's acknowledged and then pulled on and untangled and tediously worked through, and we'll get into more of that in another sermon, but God is calling for Christianity in this broken world to not be just meditative, navel-gazing, spectator religion, but for us by faith to, to be crazy enough to get involved in the people, places, and things, and all the inequities and injustices that go on in them. Why? Because our God has a personal political agenda. Look at verse 1 with me, if you will. It says, Give to the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. This psalm is implying something very interesting. The king is God's responsibility. Isn't this interesting? I'm sure they can send letters to the king. They can send Facebook or tweets to the king, right? But they're praying to who? The Lord. The king is God's responsibility and under God's sovereign rule. And at the time of the psalm, it was King Solomon and David. And so this psalm is a prayer of Solomon for Solomon and so tells that and, and so tells us that God is all about using earthly rulers, human rulers, human authorities, and government to carry out his divine and very special interest. God has complete control as more than a rich lobbyist. He's the only lobbyist that is the Lord of Lords and king of kings, and president of presidents, and divine dictator over all dictators. The king is like his glove, right? Sometimes a nasty and rough or mean glove, right? <laughs> and we'll, again, I'm going to unwrap some of that. But used by God to care and fit into his over arching and overreaching plan for people, places, and things, and deal with the inequities and injustices we cause and the ones we experience. Which means, guess what? God has some real skin in the political game by putting and calling our skins into the game, right? I don't know why God has chosen, you, you can ask him, right? But I don't know why God has chosen to use the likes of you and me to be used by him to govern this world, even after Adam and Eve messed everything up and became spiritually disabled. And, and so the political and all other arenas that we contribute and rule and vote for and support and cheer for, he has a stake in and a hand in somehow. 
And we'll try to see more of how in a future sermon. But I want you to get this basic piece first. That he uses earthly rulers and thus their politics as a way to express and accomplish his concerns and be personally involved in our world. But speaking of God having skin in the political game, even Solomon or David, and and going back to Solomon, he arguably had the greatest administration that God ever on earth. And this psalm about him was ultimately not about him. This is about the king that would descend from him, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this psalm is like a precursor about Jesus' ultimate power in politics. Look at verse 1 with me again. It says, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. When it says the royal son, using a definite article like that, it's not just saying the one and only King Solomon back 3,000 years ago. This is the, as in the one and only, first and final royal son, God's divine son, not the divine right of kings like they had back in the day and all of that, but the divine son himself come in the flesh. The only begotten son of God, Jesus Christ, is the king God's people are ultimately hoping for. For God's divine power and rule and political prowess to be embodied in a man in the flesh on earth who lives for and among his people who will judge and heal and fix all that is going on in this world of people and places and things with all of its complicated and twisted inequities and injustices that he's sending someone who will righteously and perfectly, a candidate that no one could deny or resist. It must be something and someone and something more than any earthly political leader. In fact, look at verse 17 with me. says here, may his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. How could the kings earthly king's name endure forever. Forever, forever, ever, right? That's eternally. And then all nations, it says, call him blessed. There ain't any earthly king or president or leader has everyone thinking he's blessed. And then in verse 18, it says that the king would do wondrous things, would be stuff done beyond human ability. And then in verse 19, to have his name glorious again forever, and then the whole world filled with his glory did not happen in Solomon's lifetime and ability. And then to this song, the end to this song with amen, amen, as in so be it, it's final, it's finished, wrap it up, it shall be done and is done. That only happened one time in history. When Jesus, God in the flesh, came and got all mixed up as an earthly king, 
in our people, in our people, places and things. When Jesus came to, to actually put himself in the middle of the inequities and injustices of our people, place, and things, that at his death for being the one who will finally and one day untangle the whole thing of history and politics and the complication of people, places, and things with all that mess in it, that it cost him his life so that one day all that mess will be taken off of us. Which means the God of Christians has political aspirations in this world. It's just been a long election season, y'all. <laughs> like 2,000 years. Right? It's just been a long campaign. With all kind of jokers standing up and saying they in charge, Right? It's been a long political debate, like a 2,000-year political debate, right? It's just been a long inauguration ceremony planning period, which means everywhere our earthly politics and political leaders care and succeed, it means Jesus will come and finish those for all time's sake. But hear this. Everywhere our politics and political leaders fail or fall or fade and don't come through on their promises, he is showing us that he alone can come one day with his kingdom and success and fix and redeem it. God's candidate has come, died, risen, gone back and will return to rule. That's why Christians are so into politics. Not saying that they do it well, or we do it well, or right all the time, we'll, we'll get into that, but because their God has already intended and promised that his kingdom has already come. That his kingdom will come and bring grace and peace and hope where all other kingdoms have been and gone and failed. That he intends to rule, reign, and redeem our world. This is what I want y'all to do. Okay, so we ate some crust today. I want you to take this psalm. I want you to meditate on it. That means read it and think about it for a long time. Okay? I want you to just, in your mind, think about what it means for the things you see on the news. What it means as you think about who your president is. Right? What it means as you think about who your congressperson or senator is, like, or your Supreme Court justices or whoever is in authority. Like, what it means as you watch CNN or heard the radio this morning, or you see how uh, certain situations are, happen are handled at universities and colleges and all kind of stuff going on and how things are meandered and worked around and talked about. You watch shows like I watch, like about stories of people who did wrong and did right and had a hard time and all these kind of things. 
I want you to read Psalm 72 with those things in mind. I want you to think about, even maybe it becomes a prayer. Lord, our kings have failed. They struggling down here. Our president, our senators, our mayor, our this, our football coach. You know what's going on in the news. Not ours, not Clemson's. Okay. Sorry. Somebody else's. Oh. So. But as you look at these things, like, pray that prayer. Give your king justice and power to bring mercy and grace to the inequities and injustices and complicated nature of ruling in this world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. It's complicated. We praise you that you have political goals. That you have a kingdom and you have a campaign. And for that reason, everybody in this room has a king who can make it all right. Humble us today, Lord, as we read through this song. Humble us, Lord, if we ever think that we care about these things more than you do. Humble us, Lord, if we ever think that we know how to deal with these things better than you do. There's a lot of struggle going on, Lord. People are afraid and have always been afraid of who's leading them and what it means, whether they're going to be left out or whether they're going to be evicted socially or culturally or economically. Lord, I pray for this congregation as we go through this mini-series here. A congregation on the right and on the left and everything in between. I pray for this diverse congregation that they can be united under one king, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for conversations this week. I pray that uh, your people would dig into the soil of their thinking in this area. Lord, I pray that they would turn to your word and what they see and learn, that it would become a prayer of need for you, Jesus. Help us as we walk through this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.